What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Dear Governor is a production of iHeartMedia and Three Mutts Media. If you are moved by Jarvis Masters and his 30-year struggle on San Quentin's death row, and you'd like to support his cause, please consider signing a petition on his behalf. Visit freejarvis.org slash podcast to sign your name to an open letter to California Governor Gavin Newsom. Dear Governor Newsom. Dear Mr. Governor Newsom. This is an open letter to Governor Gavin Newsom. Dear Governor Newsom. San Quentin calls it the Adjustment Center. Orange County, California jails call it disciplinary housing. Pelican Bay calls it the SHU, or security housing unit. The practice of solitary confinement goes by many names, including disciplinary confinement, security housing, and restricted housing. All are euphemisms to soften the harsh and torturous reality of solitary confinement, a state-sanctioned system that forces citizens into cramped, windowless cells for 23 to 24 hours a day sometimes for weeks at a time, months at a time, or in Jarvis Master's case, decades at a time. It's real small. It's real small. And if you stand up, if you're 5'11 or taller, your arm can reach the ceiling. You stand up in the middle of your cell, both sides of your arms, you probably only need one arm to test the other side. It's very small. There's a sink in the toilet in the back, and there's a little vent right under the sink that supposed to suck in the air when the sun it does. They have lights, they have sockets, two sockets for a TV and a radio. They have shelves. Did you have a TV or radio down down there? Yeah. Yeah, I did. They were giving them out black and white televisions. Do you remember black and white television? Do you remember those? I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I remember my first one. Look at it. Did it have rabbit ears? <laughs> yeah, it sure did. Had a little screw knob in the middle of it? Yep. 
so yeah, I had I had a TV and I had a radio, and so did everyone else. They basically didn't want you to study. They didn't want you to think. They gave you a TV and hoped you watched it day in and day out. So you're more dangerous if you're educated, you know. They didn't want you studying. They, there were times when I first got here, there's, there was a lot of books and they caught it in, and they found those books in your cell. You go straight to the hole. So you couldn't even have a book in your cell? There were certain books that you couldn't have. Uh, revolutionaries, whether you're talking about George Jackson or, or, or Fanon or Castro or anything that was with a socialist conscience, you couldn't have those books in yourself. More often than not, those who are sentenced to solitary are denied not only certain books, but phone calls, contact visits, and recreational or educational training. Other than the exercise yard, were there other programs or classes or anything that you guys were entitled to participate in? No classes. No anything. The only thing you can probably do is sign up to go to the law library. And they only let you go to the law library because you had a constitutional right to go to the law library. You shower three times a week. You may order some books. People can order books for you. You have TVs, you have radios. You allow one package, care package from from the outside every year. And that's been square, you know. The debate around it is how do you define torture? But if you, if you define it as the needless infliction of pain, then it is certainly that. Craig Haney, who was on the last episode, is a social psychologist and a professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz, who has done groundbreaking research on the psychological impact of solitary confinement. It is pain which is often long-lasting, irreversible, and it is pain which sometimes can be fatal. And for most people, that's where torture is. The ACLU has had its sights on the unjust nature of solitary confinement for years. Long-term isolation, their website says, costs too much, does nothing to rehabilitate prisoners, and exacerbates mental illness, or even causes it in prisoners who were healthy when they entered solitary. Why do you think the U.S. still uses that practice? Is it just to break spirits? Is it just a punitive thing? The, The proponents of solitary confinement, why do they continue this practice? I think, I think there, there are mixed motivations. I think there are some people who do it out of a failure of imagination. They can't think of any better way to control prisoners who they think need to be controlled. And this is, you know, the old saying, if, if all you have is a hammer and everything looks like a nail, if the only way you can think of trying to shape prisoners' behavior is through threats and intimidation and ultimately punishment, And if that still doesn't work, then you continue to escalate the punishment and do it more and more, even though it it would appear that it's counterproductive. You can't think of anything else to do. Frankly, I think in some instances, it has been used, as you described a moment ago, to break people's spirits. I think for some correctional officials, the fact that it's painful and perhaps for many prisoners even damaging, perhaps even irreversibly damaging, is an unintended consequence. Some of them, I think, wish it didn't do that. 
but they use it anyway because they don't know what else to do. But then I also think there are a category of officials who do it because it's destructive. I don't think that characterizes all of them, but I've encountered people who've put people in solitary confinement because they wanted to break them and won't let them out because they're not yet broken enough. And yes, that's happened. You know, I've seen that happen. I think there are mixed motivations for its continued use. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the physical traumas that people endure as a result of solitary confinement without the light, without the human touch? Is, is there a physical destruction that happens? Yeah, well, we're beginning to understand that, that it is not just psychological, and it is profoundly psychologically damaging to people. But it, there's also a lot of research which has now been done outside of prisons and jails. You know, it's hard to do research in, in prisons and jails, hard to get access to them. Hard to get hard to get even into the places, let alone to actually have access to the people who are confined there. But we know that isolation in the world at large has physical as well as psychologically negative consequences on people. And so there's been research that suggests that people who are exposed to social isolation and loneliness are at medical risk in a way that is equivalent to other kind of medical risks like smoking. That is to say, they get sick at higher rates and their mortality is affected negatively. That's how dangerous it is to people's physical well-being. And then the psychological dangers are many and varied. And they run the gamut. Um, They run the gamut from depression, which is perhaps the most common reaction that people have to it, to a kind of anxiety which people can't control. They find themselves nervous and anxious and unable to sleep to psychosis. I mean, where people lose their, really lose their bearings. They lose a sense of who they are. So much of who we are, it's interesting, this has become much more of an issue for the population at large now that we're all in isolation, essentially. You know, you hear people talking about not knowing who they are, being disoriented, losing touch with themselves, losing touch, not just with their families that they, they can't see, but losing touch with themselves, not being able to do the things that they ordinarily do or get joy from. Much has been written about how social distancing and isolation has been hard on the psyches of Americans. The CDC reported at the end of last year that the prevalence of anxiety tripled from March to June, and depression has risen four times in that time period. Multiply that times a thousand, and that's what solitary confinement does to people, because people in solitary confinement don't have the options we have to distract ourselves. They don't have the access to, to various kinds of things that are still interesting, even though they don't involve people. Solitary confinement def- deprives prisoners of most of those things as well. And we all know that our own isolation is being done for a medical purpose. It's medically necessary, and it won't last forever, even though it's certainly gone on more than most of us thought it would. But, you know, prisoners in solitary confinement on an indefinite basis, they're not there for anything good from their perspective. It's not as though it's a that the pain that they're experiencing is for some noble, ultimately good end. And they also many times don't know when it's going to end. They don't have any any end date that they can look forward to or any progress that they can see. So the Unlock the Box campaign, they are a group that are about abolishing solitary. And they said that there's been a 500% increase in the use of solitary during the days of COVID. 
Does this resonate truth to you? And well, I know it's true. I know it's true because I've been. I mean, I've been involved in in um, writing declarations trying to reverse that trend. Prison systems have resorted to imposing forms of solitary confinement, but labeling it medical quarantine mm. or medical isolation or lockdowns that are designed to impose social distancing by simply keeping people separated in their cells. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, while on the one hand, I understand the, the motivation to keep people medically healthy, what they're not taking into account is how psychologically unhealthy mm. the environment they're creating, which, you know, if you harken back to what we were talking about earlier about isolation actually having medical, physical consequences on people, in the long run, we actually may be making people less resilient mm -hmm. in the face of COVID-19. I mean, because people deteriorate physically as well as mentally when they're kept in isolation. So the notion that you can make everything great just by locking everybody in their cell, first of all, is probably medically naive. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work because clearly people have contact with staff members who are coming in and going every day. So that's not an impermeable safeguard against mm -hmm. exposure to COVID-19. And it also doesn't take into account the negative psychological consequences of keeping people in isolation, and none of which is being taken into account in many correctional facilities. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from Ryobi. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the Ryobi leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. 
Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Prior to COVID, as late as the summer of 2019, approximately 60,000 imprisoned men and women in the U.S. were held in isolation for an average of 22 hours a day for 15 days. And a significant percentage of those restricted to solitary confinement had serious mental illness. My name is Dolores Canales. I am co-founder of California Families Against Solitary Confinement. We organize with family members to expose the use of solitary confinement and to eventually, hopefully, end the use of solitary confinement and the draconian conditions. Now, you have an interesting personal story, and that's really kind of what drew you to this work. Well, yes, absolutely. I began getting incarcerated at 18 years old. And when I first got incarcerated, I did have a drug addiction. And then I kept going back. It was through recidivism. So I do have an extensive arrest history, but it was all behind a drug addiction. You know, now I do have 19 years sobriety. The very first time I ever did get arrested, though, was a juvenile, as is a, a juvenile. But I was let out immediately. I only stayed 24 hours. But the first thing, you know, I noticed, of course, besides being stripped naked, was being thrown in a cell all by myself. Wow. So that was actually my first experience with solitary confinement. They won't refer to it as solitary confinement, but at that time, it was just these individual single cells. What did did they call it? Adjustment center? Uh, They just called it like the housing unit. And, And this is one thing that I always attempt to convey to people is we know about the solitary confinement that we refer to as the SHU, the security housing unit. We know about administrative segregation, uh, which is also solitary confinement, and different types of units that they refer to. But oftentimes, these cells are built so that you are in a form of isolation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is throughout incarceration. I just remember the absolute feeling of despair and hopelessness. When I was put in there as a youth, there was absolutely nothing in that room. There wasn't a book or a TV or anything to occupy my thoughts and my mind. Jarvis, so he was in the adjustment center or solitary for 22 years straight. And he said, and I believe this to be true, that the only thing that really kept him sane, because he is a genuinely joyful individual. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that had really kept him sane was his meditation practice. Mm -hmm. So when you were in for prolonged periods of time, what did you think? What did you do? Where did you go in your mind? How did you survive? Right. It was definitely having the support of people on the outside and that communication. And then I would get weekly visits, even though my visits were only 40 minutes behind glass. Mm -hmm. My mom used to drive out there and then, you know, also several of my friends, they used to drive out there just to get me out of my cell because you would get out of your cell and then you had to be put in a van and driven to where the visiting room was. So it was like a little Audi, you know, so, so that was one of, I think one of the main things that connection with family family and then reading. And then the other women in solitary along with me, you know, we used to yell out our doors or when we go to yard time and we'd be able to talk through the chain link fence, we'd have that, those few moments of being able to talk through the chain link fence. And I think definitely, you know, 
the meditation, the mm-hmm. books that I read at the time. I would read a lot on recovery, mm-hmm. on, you know, meditation. I read Sermon on the Mount in there, the, you know, the, the big book of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, yes. you know, just trying to read a lot of things like that. So a typical day was I always used to get up in the morning, you know, we'd get our breakfast trays, get up in the morning, uh, take a bird bath. You had to use your sink right there, mm-hmm. you know, comb my hair, uh, get dressed, get ready. Did you have um, a mirror to see yourself? Yeah. It's one of those mirrors that uh, it's not a real mirror. Metal? It's like, like a metal made reflector? Out of pl- yeah. You look real blurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's one of those, <laughs> you know, so it kind of gives you the illusion of you're looking in a mirror. And uh, so, you know, I'd get up, get dressed, get ready. Uh, there were times, and we'd have conversations in the vents. We'd be able to talk through the vents and yell through the vents and have conversations in our vents, uh, maybe share about letters that we got, things like that. Even for dinner, sometimes I used to literally like just get ready for dinner. One time I even like, you know, put a sheet around me like it was a dress and, you know, <laughs> just getting ready and pretending like I'm having like baked Alaska or something. <laughs> While many are irreversibly broken by the prolonged isolation of solitary, some, like Jarvis, have been successful at staving off those effects. I asked Professor Haney what qualities and practices help these individuals to cope and come out on the other side undamaged. The prisoners that I see who are most successful at warding off the worst of these experiences, the worst consequences of these experiences, and it's a, it's a three-part it's a three-part program. The first is to take it seriously. I mean, the, the people who worry me are the people who say, oh, this isn't bothering me. It's, it's nothing. It's, I mean, people vary in terms of the degree to which they are harmed by it. That's certainly true. But people who don't take it seriously are at risk of being affected by it in ways that they don't recognize or notice. So people who are successful at, at withstanding or resisting it, take it seriously. Understand that they are they're surviving in the face of what is a psychological assault on who they are and that they have to figure out ways to resist it psychologically. So it's, it's acknowledge it, then impose a structure on what is otherwise the emptiness of the time that you're serving. I mean, one of the things that prisoners tell you in these places is there's no day or night. I mean, even though you can technically, you, you know, you might be able to see the sunlight or whatever. In some places, you can't even do that. But there's no real routine. There's no, every day is like the day before and the day after. And you have, there's very little that you can do that you have to do. And so you have to create a structure for yourself. And some, you know, very successful prisoners, successful in surviving this environment, create a very rigid structure for themselves that they insist on imposing on themselves. You get up at a certain time, you clean your cell at a certain time, you read for a certain number of hours, you you write letters at a certain period of time, you exercise a certain, you know, you have an exercise routine that you scrupulously follow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera to impose order on disorder, mm-hmm. to impose structure on otherwise a kind of empty, chaotic experience that, that you can get lost in. And then the third thing that successful people do, again, successful in surviving this environment reasonably intact, is to overcome the asociality of it in whatever way they can. Write letters, have visits, reach out create as much of a social world 
as you can, despite the prison systems imposing on you uh, as much of an asocial world as, as it can. So you, you circumvent that in, what, in, in whatever way you can. You know, I, I know with clients of mine who are, who are in isolation, when they're reaching a crisis stage is when they cut off visits, when they, mm-hmm. when they decide they don't want to see people anymore. I, that's a sign to me that this, their, their ability to relate to other people is atrophying, mm-hmm. and people are now becoming, uh, they're, they're now coming to represent an aversive stimulus, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and that's problematic. And you have to do what you can to to reverse that. We talked to Dolores Canales. She's the co-founder of the California Families Against Solitary Confinement. She says that she knows of you and your work. And and obviously they are a big advocate for abolishing solitary. Um, Do you think that's something that's going to happen nationally in our lifetime? I do. Uh, You know, and I, I, I have friends who think I'm naive for saying that. (laughs) I'm not. I do because I think there has been in the last 10 to 15 years enough science around not just the harmfulness of solitary confinement per se, but the harmfulness of social isolation and loneliness in the world at large. It's regarded internationally as a public health crisis. And whatever form it takes in the world at large, it is much, much worse in solitary confinement. So I think the, as, as we become increasingly aware as, as a population that this is harmful for anybody. And now, you know, as we've had an opportunity to experience ourselves, it doesn't feel good. And it's destabilizing for all of us. And it's noticeable. You can, it's tangible for us now. I think the notion that we would subject people to this in prison, in addition to all the other deprivations which they're experiencing in prison, is something that is increasingly questioned by much, much larger numbers of people who have had just a little bit, a glimmer of insight into what's this like in their own day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. We can only imagine what it would be like for somebody like Jarvis enduring this for not just months or, or years, but decades. Up next... A recent shift in the way prisons are contending with solitary confinement and why it gives Professor Haney hope for a more humane future in our prison systems. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. 
Plus. When you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. The other reason I'm optimistic about this is that I think in many parts around the country, prison systems have begun to think of alternatives. I think what, what we, we've used solitary confinement largely because there was no pressure on systems to do anything differently, and correctional systems were not very creative about figuring out responses to disciplinary problems and prison violence that did not involve throwing people in an isolation cell. And I think increasingly over the years in different parts of the country, systems have become much more innovative and creative and humane in terms of how they deal with those problems. It's not as widespread as it should be, and most places have not gone remotely as far as they should, but they're at least grappling with the issue. They're trying to figure out better ways. The whole issue of, I mean, this doesn't apply to Jarvis, but the whole issue of who's in solitary confinement. And the fact that in most prison systems, a disproportionate number of the people who are there are mentally ill. And of any group that should not be placed in solitary confinement, the mentally ill are at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Yet disproportionate numbers of them are there. They're there for various reasons, but largely because their mental illness makes it difficult, if not impossible, for them to follow the myriad rules and regulations of a prison environment. They're easily provoked, so they easily get in trouble. And prison systems throw up their hands and instead of dealing with the mental health problem, discipline them as though they're willfully violating the prison rules and regulations. And that needs to be, I think, addressed head on. And many systems are beginning to do that. So that what I just said is something that I think many prison officials now understand in a much more serious way than, you know, even a few years ago. And they're taking steps to deal with mental illness in prison systems in a way that they didn't before that does not involve putting people in solitary confinement where they're likely to deteriorate and decompensate even more. Do you have any PTSD from solitary? 
nothing that has been diagnosed by medical, but definitely things that I see in myself. Uh, um, I start to get real anxious at times and I'll feel like I have to, you know, when uh, with in a big crowd, mm-hmm. that will start to make me nervous and I'll go off by myself. And you know what is interesting? There was a a convening of sorts with Craig Haney. He's done a lot of work around the issues of solitary. He's from the Northern California area. He actually worked on Jarvis's initial trial back in the late 80s. Okay, great. So yeah, yeah. so that that's amazing. And, and he has done so much work, but we were at his home for a convening that we were going to be at, you know, the next day. And it was a full house, you know, amazing people. And I started to feel just like I had to get away. Mm-hmm. So I went into his living room And when I went there, Albert Woodfox, who is also a solitary survivor from Louisiana, was there. Wow. And and I thought, I made the immediate connection of, you felt like you just had to get out of the crowded room. You know, it wasn't the people. We admired all the people that were there. And it was an honor to be in that presence and talking to everybody. But then that, so that's how I often get. When I first came home and I was working at a, in an office at Pacific Interpreting Services, you know, I used to have to call and call. I was dealing, doing billing and collections with insurance agencies. And we were, we were in a big room and there was like four of us at our desk. And my boss put, gave me my own office. And I'll never forget the feeling of being in my own office. I, I went to him in person and I said, did I do something wrong? Oh. I went, I was like, I I loved my job, but at that moment, I didn't even want to go back to work. And I went into his office. I said, can I speak to you? And I think I felt like crying, you know? And I said, why am I getting put in my own office? What did I do wrong? You know, did I get you mad? And he looked at me kind of, you know, he's like, that's a promotion. That's a compliment (laughs) to how good you are. And then I I went in my office and I closed the door because I just, I was feeling too overwhelmed. And I called an insurance uh, adjuster. They owed us so mm-hmm. many. And I remember he he was like, "It's only thirty dollars, you know." And 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 I started telling him, "You know what? I could care less about the thirty dollars. Do you want to know what just happened to me? Mm. I was just placed in my own office. I'm all alone in here." I started telling an insurance adjuster wow. while working at Pacific Interpreting Services. Right? That's amazing. I mean, that's how devastated yes. I was. I think when you've had that experience. It, you know, you, your life goes on and, and things, but it doesn't leave you. I don't know how to explain it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't leave you. And, and it'll creep in at times where the next thing you know, you're just back in isolation, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a constant processing. Mm-hmm. It's a constant, um, I don't think you're ever really healed yeah. from it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, it's torture. Yeah, absolutely. I would define it as torture. You know, and what's interesting is Kathleen Connolly, she, I don't know if she still is, but a few years ago, she was the vice president for the Humane Society of the United States of America. And she's literally quoted that research chimpanzees, they need to see and hear and touch and feel one another because solitary confinement is detrimental to their physical well-being. Wow. You know, and, and under federal government law, research chimpanzees cannot be held in solitary confinement, you know. And then in California, and this is what I always say, you know, California, we're always getting saying, saying that California is the outlier and California is progressive. But in California, in the November 2008 ballot, we had Proposition 2, cage-free chickens. It passed unanimously. California should be voting on cage-free humans. And do you know the humane standards for chickens? 
proper and nutritious diet. That was actually one of the demands of the hunger strikes, right? Proper and nutritious diet, adequate resting places, and the ability to engage in natural behavior. Chickens. Chickens. So separating a mother from her child, separating a grandmother from her grandson or her great-grandson, where is the natural behavior in the way we keep humans confined? But yet we have Proposition 2, cage-free chickens. We need that same activism. We need that same uh, looking at people as people. Well, Dolores, thank you. You are delightful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. All right, great. Thank thank you so much. Thank you so much. Special thanks to Dolores Canales and the work she does as co-founder of the California Families Against Solitary Confinement. Next week, Maurice Shama. A staff writer at The Marshall Project shares the good news of his latest book, Let the Lord Sort Them, The Rise and Fall of the Death Penalty. This episode was written and produced by Donna Fazari and myself, Corny Cole. Our theme song, Sentenced, is compliments of the band Stick Figure from their album Set in Stone. Stu Sternbach composed the original music. Nate Dufort did the sound design. For more information on Jarvis and to find out how you can follow his case and support his cause, please visit freejarvis.org. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.